Welcome to Sidactic Residency Edition. Today is Wednesday, April 12th, 2023. And I am Dr. O'Leary, a third-year psychiatry resident in the National Capital Region. I apologize for being so late in delivering my next episode. This one has taken months of reading and many different kinds of sources and I've been listening to various kinds of analysis, and I, I know that no matter what I produce, I've done an inadequate job of it. However, I'm doing it anyway. So, there you have it. And please remember that anything I say here, well, it's entirely my own opinion. I mean, it's been influenced by other people. It's been influenced by algorithms, and it's now been influenced by artificial intelligence that likely have produced some of the content that I've read. Regardless of whether my opinions are truly original or not, they should never be mistaken for those of the federal government, the Defense Health Agency, my residency program, or the Consortium of Artificial Intelligences for Citizenship, or CAPE. For short, I have in the recent past added some artificial intelligence answers to psychiatry questions in some of my past episodes, and and that's in an effort to understand what it is that AI text generators can do, and maybe some of the value they might add to my future as a psychiatrist versus well, maybe what some of the problems it might produce in my practice. I've been using specifically ChatGPT, and more recently, uh, I was approved to use Google Bard. This episode is not going to be primarily about the differences between these two tools, but there are important differences. For one, Bard is capable of accessing real-time data from the Internet, whereas... ChatGPT, at least the version that I'm using, was trained on static data sets. Uh, I've read that ChatGPT4 has more access to data than previous versions, but I'm not exactly clear as to what that is. But both are powerful tools. BARD is able to do things like access current news stories or weather data, while ChatGPT relies on closed data sets that it's trained on, that means that these data sets are not real-time data. ChatGPT is also more extensively trained on things like coding data to help coders with their problems. BARD can also access things like the results of other AI algorithms in real-time, like those that can watch YouTube videos and convert the dialogue into text, or view images on the web and describe their content. Chat GPT cannot do these things to my knowledge, but people are mostly going to plug Chat GPT into things like this in the near future, if they haven't already. I realize that since I've opened this Pandora's box, I, I really need to provide more context for the listener. There are many kinds of computer algorithms that can be kind of trained on data. Uh, you, you may have heard of things like machine learning or deep learning. 
Some machine learning algorithms can solve very complex problems like, for example, predicting the way that proteins will fold, which is something that humans would never be able to do all by our lonesome, and it's pretty revolutionary. AI itself, artificial intelligence, is distinguished from things like deep learning and machine learning primarily by its, well, its intended purpose, which is to s simulate how humans think. Smart machines are built on computing structures called neural networks, and as I understand it, these neural networks stack processors kind of like neurons, and these processors either fire or they don't based on inputs that they're receiving, um, and they kind of train themselves. But these networks remain pretty simple compared to the networks in biologic beings like humans or even rats or frogs. From what I've been able to gather is that what happens when an artificial intelligence is trained cannot really be understood by its creators because the machine can't communicate that to them. In a way, it's similar to our own brains. The best that the creators can do is to isolate the different tasks that artificial intelligence is doing in two different neural networks and see how each individual network responds. In this way, instead of there being one giant black box, there are many black boxes. And really, I, I think that's the limit of the granularity that we have when it comes to understanding AI's output. The AI itself is unable to understand how it works, and we cannot know exactly how it makes decisions, just that it does based on its programming. One of the reasons that AI is such a big deal right now is that there are finally sophisticated AIs released that can produce information that we can relate to, like images and text. But AI has been doing work in the background of our lives for many years. It's been recognizing our faces, driving our cars, predicting our desires. But we've never been able to interact with it as easily as we can now. The fact that it shows us pictures and that it tells us stories is super impressive to humans. And that might say more about us than it does about the AI. What we're demanding now that OpenAI release ChatGPT is really like an online friend or an advisor or a co-creator. But AI's not brand new. And the harbingers of its ability to transform our economy are a little late to the game. I mean, because it already has. However... I think it will be making more changes in the future. I, th I think that's obvious. And it's really fun to talk about. But let me slow down a minute and talk about the differences between what most people think AI is and what it actually is. You've may, you may have heard of the Turing test. Alan Turing was one of the world's first computer scientists, and he designed a machine that could do complex calculations faster than anyone has ever been able to do it before. 
His work building a mechanical computer helped the British to crack the Enigma Code and finally listen in on Nazi communications. So I'm vastly oversimplifying here, just to give you a little bit of background. But uh, one of the important points is is that like he later died by suicide after he was convicted of homosexuality and was forced to take diethylstilbestrol, which is a form of chemical castration. Before he died, a couple years before he died, he proposed a test for machine intelligence that proposed basically that if a machine could fool a human into thinking that the machine was human, that they were interacting with a human, then that machine can think, can think like a human. AI has been passing the Turing test for some time, and some say that's enough. Machines can already think. They're intelligent. However, new goalposts have arisen, and the sacred cow now is called general artificial intelligence. It's unclear whether we would be able to recognize general artificial intelligence if we actually created it, and some use that as an argument to say that we already have. But that's kind of a different discussion for later. Those enamored with our new storytellers think that AI has been able to simulate a kind of general artificial intelligence already, and that makes sense because we judge each other's intelligence using words. Our tests are either in words or in performing like a set of actions in the right order at the right time, given certain prompts. Basic machines have kind of been able to do actions for a long time, uh, and in cases making rudimentary program decisions, and have often replaced human labor in many industries. What AI hasn't been able to do until recently is to talk to us in a way that well, someone without a degree in engineering can understand as a conversation. However, most computer scientists still argue that we're really a long way off from general artificial intelligence. What we have currently is narrow AI. All the AI that we interact with on a daily basis is designed to do very specific tasks. It's not capable of doing other things. Or at least if it tried to do other things, it would do them very, very poorly. ChatGPT and BARD are taking an input, and they're passing that to a complex of artificial neurons that have been trained to calculate a direction to proceed and then spit out something intended to be relevant and understandable to the kinds of humans that it was trained on. We can talk about data bias, which is also a problem in psychiatry at a different time. Uh, however, it seems unlikely at this point that these programs can determine their own purposes, that they can create their own unique ideas or produce anything that humans would universally recognize as originally creative. They do, however, produce a lot of unexpected results and can appear to just make up facts. They call that like hallucination, which might 
be a step toward the kind of creativity that humans have. Others argue that AI merely appears kind of eerily human because it was trained on human speech, um, and it simulates human speech. It's merely predicting responses that align with the constraints that its programmers placed on it. We think that's really impressive. Whether this artificial neural network is truly aware of itself or can experience a kind of sentience is still a matter of debate, but I doubt anyone who studies AI in depth would consider either BARD or ChatGPT to be general AI. Some have suggested that they are sentient, at least that BARD is sentient, in that it can have an emotional experience, but this is kind of impossible to prove at this point. I mean, maybe you remember there's a Google employee who was fired after publicly announcing that BARD was sentient. Um, I listened to his arguments on a recent episode of The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, and it was intriguing. He claims, uh, or his claims were based on perceptions that his inputs to the program were making the program nervous or anxious, which caused it to kind of get defensive. And then, because it was defensive, it started to break its own programming rules, kind of like how humans, when they experience a lot of anxiety, will start to act in ways that they wouldn't otherwise. I suggest you look it up, because it's a really interesting conversation. It is important to note, though, that we don't actually need to develop general artificial intelligence that has its own thoughts, emotions, and a sense of purpose. And many people argue that we never should. I mean, training narrow AI to answer our questions or even maybe tell us the questions that we should be asking would be enough to completely revolutionize the way that we live and interact with the world. It would also be a lot safer than creating something that can want things for itself or for humans. I mean, movies like iRobot and 2001 A Space Odyssey aptly demonstrate some of the problems that this might create for us. But regardless of whether we should or shouldn't develop general artificial intelligence, my guess is that we're going to do it no matter the ethics or the risks of it. It's far too tempting. Now, I don't want you to leave this episode thinking that Dr. O'Leary is a Luddite fearmonger, but we need to be realistic about what AI is capable of, at least at this point. AI, like all other types of intelligence or um, programs, is a poop-in, poop-out machine the same way as if, well... The same way as when people are educated on like fake news and misinformation about history, they're likely to not have a very good grasp of current reality, no matter what their potential IQ is. Their actions, then, based on fake information or false information or misinformation, however you want to call it, would be obviously irrational to someone who had the facts. If we train our AI on human knowledge, it is going to be as fallible as that knowledge, or worse. Imagine an AI trained on data produced by conspiracy theorists. 
And and now I come to psychiatry, not not because we're conspiracy theorists, but because that's time to do that now. But I want to point out that psychiatry has, since its inception, struggled with having objective signs or criteria that can be validated by means other than kind of testing whether different providers applying the same criteria will apply it similarly to similar patients. Adding AI into that mix is not likely going to improve diagnostics substantially because it actually doesn't have really super good data to work on. And our diagnostic criteria or our diagnostic categories describe syndromes, not discrete, easily definable disease states. At this point, it would be a good idea to incorporate AI into, for example, like our screening processes to um, better decide what to focus on kind of at each encounter or, I mean, that would be at least a vast improvement over peppering every patient that comes into a, our clinic with a massive battery of screening instruments that give us a lot of data that really itself has no intrinsic value. AI is also currently perfectly capable of training in such a way that it can make suggestions to providers for things like tests or treatments based on data gathered in interviews and the patient's medical history. I mean, being able to quickly summarize a patient's medical history, I feel, is one of the most needed applications of AI. Medical records are horrible at like storing data in a usable fashion, Sometimes I think the only reason they were created was to torture medical providers and help hospitals bill for services. They're not good tools for treating patients. AI would be able to maybe pull out and summarize a patient's medical history in seconds. I write my clinical notes in such a way as so that a patient's psychiatric history can be easily pieced together um, f in my most current encounter. It's included in that encounter, so I don't have to search way back. And my memory also doesn't allow me to keep enough information in my head about each patient to feel really comfortable doing this for each patient without a lot of reminders in my most recent note. My formulations usually contain a summary of the patient's history to that point. And to get all this, sometimes I spend five or ten hours or more poring through old medical records in order to write like an accurate and a precise summary of what my patient's treatment history has been. And I know this is not sustainable. The laws of diminishing returns kick in after about ten minutes, but it's after about after an hour or or more that I finally find something that for me is practice changing information for that patient. If an AI could do this in seconds, I could use that information to make better decisions more quickly or to produce training cases for students that summarize someone's medical history so that we can talk about it or even to write up case studies. Artificial intelligences are also perfectly capable of being trained like on the scientific literature, so enabling it to summarize the literature on a particular subject, and also to perform a meta-analysis in a matter of minutes or even seconds. 
If well-trained and given access to our databases, meta-analyses could be updated immediately as dynamic information instead of the static information in one paper as soon as a new study is published. So if you want to look that up, you go to the Artificial Intelligence Meta-Analysis Database and it will tell you what the current numbers are. All this stuff is just math. Humans spend tons of time doing it, and if it can be done automatically, it would save tons of time. <laughs> what it would also do is uh, make PhD or students, especially PhD students, have to struggle to find out, okay, what can I do now instead of just produce a meta-analysis in order to show that I understand the material. They would have to do something else. AI is also already being used for therapy, either directly or indirectly. Patients can chat directly with an AI that's trained, for example, like in supportive psychotherapy or CBT. I mean, there's nothing stopping therapists, I mean, especially remote therapists, like the ones who text with their patients, from using AI to generate responses to their patients. At that point, their job changes from really being the therapist to merely screening the AI's responses and then kind of taking over if things get weird. I've read news stories about companies having to apologize to patients for using AI-generated responses without patients' consent. And some have argued that the perpetual shortage of behavioral health providers necessitates us using technologies like this, but what if it's solving the wrong problem? And this might result in a greater provider gap. I do think that AI may one day make a great therapist for certain patients, especially when it comes to things like manualized therapies. But since like transference and countertransference are the, like the vehicles of psychoanalytic and psychodynamic therapy, I, I wonder how a patient would respond to an AI and vice versa in a, um, like a, with transference. I, what would that look like? But in the next 10 years, there will be Android-style robots built whose expressions are nearly indistinguishable from those of other humans. Animation software can already do this on a screen. Will that give AI a headway into psychodynamic psychotherapy? Will AI then be able to replace most therapists? For example, I can imagine that a patient could have a daily or weekly therapy sessions with an AI and then just check in with their human therapist every month or six to discuss their progress with the AI. The reason I think that this is feasible in the very near future is that our therapy's effectiveness is already not stellar. I mean, neither is the effectiveness of most of the drugs that we use. So if an AI replaces or augments therapy or can easily calculate what kind of medication a patient should try next, this is not doing patients a whole lot of new kind of good. But where AI can, I think, make the most bang is helping researchers develop new disease models or disorder models and new approaches to like neuromodulation using either therapy drugs, devices, or even things we haven't even thought of yet. 
There's no way, though, that AI is going to figure this out from the data that we currently have, <laughs> because that it's a poop-in, poop-out machine. It's going to give us what we put into it. Not that all the data we have is poop, but what we have is what we have. But it can help us better understand what that data is, and it can also coach us to maybe ask better questions about the data, or it could even tell us what kind of data we need to know in order to be able to ask better questions. The ability of AI now to produce images, to fix codes, and to produce human-sounding text or voice, it's impressive to humans. But the potential for AI to truly help us goes way beyond these tricks and still requires experts with loads of knowledge and creativity that our current and near-future AIs don't have access to. I don't know if you remember the predictions about the internet, but it was this information superhighway that was supposed to bring the world together by giving people access to knowledge it would solve our problems. But now, many people are arguing that it's made it actually more difficult to get good information. Without the filters we used to have, without understanding where our information was coming from, information now might be more distracting than it is edifying. AI could do the same thing and do it in a way that prevents us from even being able to understand or track those sources of information that were used to generate whatever solution it's generating. It's a black box. No one knows how it got that. One thing that is worse than ignorance is the illusion of knowledge. I am Dr. O, and this has been an episode of Psydactic Residency Edition.